I need to confess something to you today. I need to let you know something about me. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I stood here and I showed you my pineapple. <laughs> I was very proud of it. I explained to you how pineapples were once a status symbol. In fact, during the 16 and 1700s, pineapples, pineapples were so expensive to import that owning one, the price was the equivalent of about $7,000 today. They were so expensive that people wouldn't actually eat them, they would just buy them and then display them and, and let them rot. And what I didn't tell you that day about myself is that I, I am allergic to pineapples. I, I didn't know. I didn't know I was allergic for a very long time. In fact, I was an adult or semi-adult anyway when I finally found out. Trish and I were at a dinner one night and someone had made Watergate salad. You know the stuff? It's green. It's got the nuts and crushed pineapple in it. And, and I was dishing some out on my plate and I said to Trish, you know, I love this stuff, but don't you just hate the way it makes your mouth feel? And she said, what, what are you talking about? I said, you know, after you eat it, you get all those little bumps in your mouth. They really hurt and they feel like a bunch of little blisters. <laughs> Trish had to tell me, that doesn't happen to anyone but you. You're allergic. I had no idea, but it's true. I'm, a, I'm allergic to pineapple. There's times when I eat it and it, I get blisters in my mouth. And sometimes my tongue kind of swells up and one time I ate it and I even had trouble breathing afterwards. But, but there's other times when, when it does nothing. And I'm not sure what makes the difference, but the thing is, I love pineapple. And, and even though it hurts me, I eat it. I accept that the pain is part of the experience. And, you know, it's not life-threatening um, yet. So I eat it. I put up with it because I love it. And it's worth it to me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You know, when we think of fruit, we think of fruit as being sweet, obviously. We think of fruit as being nutritious. We think of it maybe even as being nurturing to us, and, it, and it's good for us. We don't often associate fruit with pain, but the reality is the pain is there. Whether it's for me with an allergy, or whether it's the briars and the brambles while you're picking berries, or the backaches from a day of picking strawberries, pain is part of the experience, and pain is often inevitable. Maybe, maybe it's even necessary. Peace, being a fruit of the Spirit, is necessary. It is essential to the Christian life. It's part of who you are, and you are to offer it. Yeah, but... I've seen those words in your eyes over this month as I've talked to you about peace, as I've talked about tearing down walls with other people and ending hostilities, as I've talked about restoring friendships and relationships. Yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know my situation. You don't know my struggle. You don't know my pain. And you know, there's a chance you're right. I might not know. I definitely can't feel it like you feel it. But the point isn't what has hurt us. The point is the fruit. The point is peace. And beyond any pain that you might feel or that I might feel, you have to ask, am I going to allow this pain to change me? You have to decide for yourself what kind of person you're going to be. And we're looking at Romans chapter 
12 today, verses 9 through 21. If you're following along in the Blue Bibles we have for you there, it's page 948, 948. Real easy for someone who grew up in Kansas, Illinois to remember 948. If you read the whole book of Romans, the whole letter, and I encourage you sometimes sit down and read the whole letter all in one setting. You see that Paul spends the entire letter explaining the gospel, the good news. And he starts out in chapter 1 saying that the gospel is something that he is not ashamed of. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is life and it is freedom for us in Christ. He goes on and he explains that all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus has provided the, the, the solution that we have forgiveness through Christ. And so here at the end, starting in chapter 12, Paul talks about how we live that out in our own lives and, and with other people. How we become the living sacrifices we're called to be. And he says, beginning there in verse 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's the plan. That's the ideal. That's the way it should be. Yeah, but... Yeah, but you don't know my circumstances, Paul. Yeah, but you don't know what I've been through, Paul. You don't know how I've been hurt by others, and some of them have been close to me. Some of them have been family members. Some of them have been church members. They've, they've been other Christians who have hurt me. This may be the ideal, but it is not my reality, so what am I supposed to do? And in the very next verse, Paul tells us how to handle our yeah buts. He starts out in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Last week, I talked about how peace tears down walls. Walls separate us. Walls tell who's in and, and who's out. Walls tell us who's acceptable and who's unacceptable. Peace tears down those walls. But one thing we have to realize is there's a difference between building walls and putting up boundaries. Walls separate. Walls divide. Walls alienate. Walls cause hurt. Boundaries prevent hurt. There's a wonderful little book that you ought to read if you get a chance. It's called Boundaries. It's by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And in that book, they talk about boundaries in our relationships. And one of the things they say is boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins. Knowing what I am to take responsibility or knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. Setting boundaries inevitably involves taking responsibility for your choices. You are the one who makes them. You are the one who must live with their consequences. You have to decide for yourself what kind of person you're going to be. Where do you set your boundaries? What will you allow in your life? What will you not allow? Boundaries tell other people what's important to you, and they tell people what you will be defined by. Verse 14 says, bless 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's easy, right? Well, no, it's not. But this is who you're going to be. You are going to be a blesser. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This tells us what our boundaries are not. You know, boundaries are not about us being comfortable. Boundaries are not about just surrounding us with people who make us happy. It's not about the people who are like us and then the rest are below us. They don't exist. That's not a boundary. That's a wall. But, you know, even in those situations with, with difficult people, we're going to bless. We are not going to hurt back. What we have to realize is you can't always control the situation, but you don't have to let the situation control you. Life has its hurts. Some people bring pain, not blessing. The reality is you can't stop that. You can't always control the situation, but you don't have to let the situation control you either. The wrong-headed actions and, and attitudes of others do not have to dictate who you are or how you will react or ultimately who you will become. So when, when peace is hard to find, when situations are less than ideal, what do you do? You know, you go back to verse 17 and it says, repay no one evil for evil. <laughs> Let me, get, let me give you a quick quiz here. Really quick, really easy answers. You're going to do just fine on this quiz. Did people ever do evil to Jesus? Yes. Yes, they did. In fact, we talk about it every Sunday, the cross. Did he repay evil for evil? No. No, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not Jesus. Well, I noticed that. <laughs> But you are a Christian, so what does that mean? Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, and we read there that in Him, that is in Jesus, you, all of you, are, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit. I love that he says you are being built. That means it, it's not done yet. That means you are going to mess up. But, you know, we ought to see some progress. Paul is calling for progress here. He goes on in verse 17 and says, But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You see those words, give thought? If you're reading the NIV, it says, be careful. The words that are being translated there from the Greek, they actually mean, think first. Think first. You know, if I was the kind of person that wrote in the margins of my Bible, I think right there I would write the words, think first before you say what you want to say think first before you act to get even and hurt back you think first before you hit the post button on that facebook rant that you have just written where you are going to go off on someone think first and ask the question is this going to make me look more like jesus or less like jesus People know that I'm a Christian. Is this going to show them what a Christian really is? Or are they going to say, wow, is a Christian like that? Is it going to show them what Jesus is really like? Think first. And then we come to verse 18. And this is what we really need to get to. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If Possible. You know, the reality is, the reality is that peace is not always possible. That's sad. 
But that's the reality. That's our, yeah, but. But he goes on and says, so far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you. You know what that means, right? <laughs> so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means, let's use the word stuff today. That means that if stuff is going to be stirred, you're not the stuff stirrer. <laughs> you're not the one that does the stirring, right? Because you know that peace is valuable. You know what peace costs. We, we celebrated it today around this table as we talked about the cup, as we talked about his blood poured out for us. Jesus died for peace. We know the cost. We know the price of peace. And so you, by your actions, are not going to make his sacrifice worthless because your feelings are hurt. Instead, you're going to think first. And you're going to look for something better to do. You're going to trust in something better. Because peace ultimately is born out of our trust in God. You see, peace is not born out of everyone getting along with each other. Peace is not born out of everybody doing what they're supposed to do. Because that's never going to happen here, this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean that we sacrifice peace. Again, we know the cost of peace. We are products of peace. We are driven by peace. And the point isn't, well, if we're nice, maybe we'll all just get along with each other. <laughs> the point is we trust Jesus. And when Jesus said, peace be with you, when, peace, when Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you, we trust that he knew what he was talking about. And that trust is spelled out very clearly in verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. <laughs> if someone does me wrong, I want them to pay. You better believe, I want them to pay. And I'll tell you this, I can imagine all kinds of ways that they could pay. Cruel ways, painful ways. But any image of retribution I might have pales in comparison to what God can do. So I either allow myself right now to be consumed with revenge, which will change me. It will change who I am. Or I can trust that God has the situation in control and that he will exact payment. Or he will offer them peace. And, and maybe... Maybe I will be able to be part of that peace. Verse 20 confuses us and, and really bothers us. I don't know that we really get it, but verse 20, he says, to the contrary, uh, to the contrary of seeking revenge, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I don't know that we're capable of understanding this verse in and of ourselves. We often look at it as some kind of sneaky and sinister plan. <laughs> I'm going to kill him with kindness. I'm going to be nice to him, and that'll get even with him. That'll, that'll make him pay. It's not about killing them with kindness. It's not about our goodness causing them pain. Do you realize how essential burning coals were in, in a desert environment where there really wasn't a lot of vegetation to burn? If someone came to your house at night and, and, and stayed at your house for a while, you would send them home with burning coals so they could light their home fire when they got back. Coals were necessary for warmth, for fire, and even for purifying. Isaiah, Isaiah 6, he says, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. 
And the angel takes a live coal and purifies Isaiah's lips. Those burning coals are, are for that person's best. There's a story in a, a wonderful little book called uh, Everyone Always by Bob Goff. Everyone Always. The, the subtitle is Becoming Love. Becoming Love in a world full of setbacks and difficult people. Do you know any difficult people? <laughs> you, you might need to read this book. Bob Goff is a lawyer. Don't let that uh, offend you or, or hurt your opinion of him. He actually is a lawyer with a heart. Uh, but he talks about when he was first starting out, his father gave him a, an old yellow pickup truck. And he said that that pickup truck was worthless. The last thing his dad told him when he gave it to him was, make sure you change the oil. He, he never changed the oil. <laughs> it blew smoke. It sputtered. The door locks quit working. The gas cap didn't work. The wipers didn't work. <laughs> the truck was worthless, but he continued to drive it because he was saving his money for something better. And so he would park it about 20 minutes down the road from his office, down by the railroad track. He would park it there on the street so his, his co-workers didn't have to look at it. One day as he's walking back to his truck, he sees that someone's sitting inside it. You remember the door locks didn't work, right? Someone's sitting inside of his truck and there's a homeless man. He had gotten in Bob's truck, found the doors unlocked, gotten in his truck to get out of the cold. Bob tapped on the window. The man rolled it down and said, can I take you somewhere? And Bob said, not today. He opened the door and let the man out. This went on for months. Every day, the same thing. The man needed a dry place to stay and Bob was okay. The truck wasn't worth anything. But one day, after, after months of this interaction going on, one day Bob got to the truck and, and the man wasn't there. He wondered what had happened to him. And as soon as he opened the door, he found out what had happened. This man had had a bad day. He'd had a setback. Bob's truck was trashed. It was full of beer bottles and other alcohol bottles. There were cigarettes, half-smoked, laying all over the, the floorboards. There were a couple of knobs ripped off the dash. This man had had a bad day. And Bob never saw him again. He had done something that he was ashamed of, so ashamed that he broke that relationship he had with Bob and he was gone. I don't know if you've ever considered the possibility, but people who have injured us, they might just be ashamed. They, they might be ashamed of what they've done. And when we fight back and we bite back, we push them further and further away from the grace of God. I hope we're at a point where we want everyone, no matter how badly they have hurt us, we want everyone to know God's grace. I hope we understand that while, while others' actions have hurt us, we don't have to hurt back. In fact, we have been so blessed by God's goodness and we have known His peace so well that we can bless others in return. That's what verse 21 tells us. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I have something else I need to confess to you today. I still haven't eaten my pineapple. <laughs> you know, two weeks ago I showed you this pineapple and, and I told you how in the 1700s they were so expensive that people wouldn't eat them. They would just display them as a sign of their wealth, as a sign of their status. And they would put them on their mantle or as a centerpiece on the dining room table and then they would just let them rot. And I compared that to the peace we have in Jesus. 
Do we just talk about his peace? Do we just sing about his peace? Or do we live it? Do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and in our relationships? Or do we let it rot? I still haven't eaten. It's been two weeks I haven't eaten this pineapple. But I'm not letting it rot. I'm letting it ripen. When I first bought it, it was green. And in fact, Patty said to me, don't you eat that yet. You got to let that ripen. It will hurt you if you eat it. Patty, it's going to hurt me either way, but I'm going to enjoy it. And if I had eaten it two weeks ago, it would have been bitter. It would have been not nearly as sweet. It could have done some damage. But if I give it some time, if I leave it alone, it'll it'll ripen. It'll sweeten. It'll get much better. Now, that, that process can't be rushed. That takes patience. And Starting next week, we're going to talk some about patience. You know what the difference is, right? The difference is my intention. I'm leaving it alone so it'll get better, not so it will rot. And and I know you've got relationships like that. You've got relationships that have been broken. And you've got people that won't speak to you or, or you won't speak to them. You've got to decide, are you letting that relationship rot? Or are you letting it ripen? You know, if every day I pick up this pineapple and I'm constantly poking at it and and thumping it and bruising it, it's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. We do that with relationships. And you know, if, if instead of thumping and poking and prodding and bruising, if instead we just offering some, some quiet blessings and trusting God in his time, that relationship might just ripen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7 says, There is a time to tear. There are times when we need to rip ourselves away from other people. That's healthy. But that same verse goes on to say, There is a time to mend. Now, that's not to be rushed, but it is to be recognized. What if you trusted God? What if you made it your goal that as far as it depends on you, you would find peace with others? What if you committed not to not allow situations and and other people to control you, but instead that you were going to bless and not curse. How much sweeter could that relationship be when it was time to finally mend? Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we have known your peace. We have been blessed by your peace. But we have to admit we haven't always trusted in your peace. And in our relationships, some of them broken, Let us trust that you are God even then. And let us trust that you are working peace. Let us us think first. And Lord, in our damage, let us trust that you are working things out with us and with others. Let us trust in your goodness and trust in your peace. Father, in your eternity, we look forward to an eternity of peace with you in heaven. Let us live lives now that begin that journey today. Let us find peace now that will last for eternity to your glory. We love you. We thank you for your amazing love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Please go in peace.